Who wants, I tell you, who wants a pot of coffee? I just make coffee. You want a cup of coffee? Sure, there you go. Who wants coffee? Anybody else want coffee? Who wants coffee? And now, it's time for the man with the caffeine. The new tropics for the brain. It's Coffee with Mike. Hang in, hang tight, grab your cup, and let's get this thing started. Hey, welcome back to Java Chat, everybody. It's Coffee with Mike here, and I'm sitting here with, after reading his background, a seriously interesting man by the name of Paul Moore. Paul, thanks for joining us here on Java Chat. It's a real pleasure of having you. Absolutely. It's great to be here. Thanks, Mike. It's an honor. Awesome. Awesome. So guys, <laughs> actually, I should just let you talk, dude, because <laughs> Paul has such an interesting background. I mean, he's been there, done that a couple times. And, and I'd like him to share some of his some of his history, where he's been, what he's done. I hate I hate to do this to you within within a, within a small condensed portion because I know you got a lot to share. But can you give us a little bit about who Paul Moore is? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up wanting to be a parapsychologist. I saw the movie Ghostbusters as we all nice. did at that time, and I didn't <laughs> know there was no parapsychology degree. Mike, why what? didn't they tell me that? I know. So like I was a junior in high school and my football coach, finally, finally someone cared. He said, hey, so where are you going to get that parapsychology degree? And I said, oh, I don't know. I'll figure it out. Probably Duke University. You know, they're, right? they're, they're kind of weird. And he <laughs> said, um, well, why don't you call the Duke University parapsychology department and find out what, you know, what's involved? And so I called the psychology department. I got laughed off the phone. They hung up. Oh, yeah. And I decided with good grades in math and science, I ought to get an engineering degree. There you go. So that was my second mistake. And um, <laughs> I, uh, anyway, I got an, ended up getting an MBA after that. Went to Ford Motor Company, which I loved Ford. But I actually had an entrepreneurial itch. And I spent the five years at Ford always noodling and thinking and spending evenings and weekends trying to start a, not a side hustle, but a replacement hustle. And I did. Wow. And a partner and I just hit all the timing right and nice. everything worked out perfectly. We started this HR and staffing firm that Wall Street had kind of had its eye on that industry for a couple of years. And then I don't think people realize how big that industry is. I know, right? It, it's, it's incredible. Well, in 1997, we were five <clears throat> years into this and uh, a friend of ours went public mm -hmm. and he wanted to acquire a Michigan office with all the tens of millions of dollars he had suddenly had in his bank account. And so they acquired our company for too much money. <laughs> and I decided after that, that I wanted to move to the Blue Ridge Mountains raised two kids out, you know, an hour from the closest large town. Nice. And we, we did that. And the two kids somehow turned into four kids and <laughs> we, we started raising the kids something, out there. Something, and something about those Blue Ridge Mountains, I tell you. I know, I know. I don't know what it was. And so Get some magic uh, out there somewhere. <laughs> we started, we started a nonprofit organization to reach out to international students studying in the U.S. Awesome. and give them a wonderful Blue Ridge Mountain retreat weekend. And we did that for a couple of years. That Where was, was I when all this was going on? I would have been one of the ones coming out for sure. Oh, Holy really? Cow. Okay. Heck yeah. Yeah. Was, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it was great. So, we, you know, the kids could come out and they could milk a goat and ride a cow or <sighs> maybe it was ride a Yeah, I would have totally been. I would have totally been there, Paul. the idea. I would have totally been there. Yeah. So we started a big, you know, we, we built a big pond and stocked it and Ooh, kids had hiking trails and all that. But, <sighs> you know, I was a, a 34, now by then 35-year-old type A entrepreneur. Oh. Oh with lots of energy and yep. I was I found I wasn't happy I, I found mm. you know the nonprofit was great but we were only doing retreats like maybe one or two a quarter and I wanted to be doing something every week and it was mm -hmm. actually pretty easy yeah and so I found myself looking for something to do and I tried a few things that I won't go into but I heard that you could actually buy houses for cheap on the courthouse steps 
that were foreclosed upon. And I didn't know anything. House flipping wasn't even a thing yet. It was, they called it buying a fixer up or, and so we went, (laughs) my buddy and I went to the courthouse steps and we bought a house for about 55% of its retail value. We swept it, painted the main floor and then stuck a for sale by owner sign in the yard. And even though the unemployment rate in that town was 22% at the time, the textiles had crushed Martinsville, oh, Virginia. Yeah. We, we sold it in four hours for full price. Jeez. <clears throat> and I told my friend Jack, I said, this is easy. We can do, <laughs> we can do one a week or yeah. at least one or two or three a month. Yeah. Well, number two and three and four were really hard. We lost money on a couple of them. And I realized residential real estate flipping was fun and profitable, but wasn't quite as easy as I first thought. <laughs> and Mike, I, we did dozens and dozens of houses. And then we flipped a couple dozen waterfront lots at a resort area that's much nice. like Tahoe. Cool. And, but it's uh, called Smith Mountain Lake. And uh, that's where What About Bob was filmed. Is that and, really? Yeah, that's yeah, cool. We, it's not Lake Winnipesaukee. It wasn't true. And uh, yeah, there, we have 500 miles of shoreline here. And thank, uh, thank you, Hollywood, for making us believe. Yeah, right. I know, right? <laughs> so, well, at the, at the credits, just yeah, leave the credits at yeah, the end of the movie. You should. You should. But um, <laughs> at any rate, we, we did that. And I started a small subdivision, sold that out. And it sounds I'll, like you I'll went from, it sounds like you went from flipper to developer. Is that, is that fairly? I only did one small subdivision. In fact, that was part of the great pain. I'll tell you about uh, at some point if you want to know the great pain of my life. Yeah, we're going to um, need to hear that. I'm sure that yeah. was a pivot point of some sort. <laughs> but during that whole time, I was always trying to figure out what's the on-ramp to commercial real estate? What, how do I get <sighs> involved in the big time? And do I even want to? And how much money would it take? And who would I need to know? And how would I need to do it? And so I finally got involved in commercial real estate in 2011. We invested foolishly in an oil and gas deal in oh no <laughs> and no seriously we threw uh, uh about a million dollars it was the vast majority of friends uh, other friends and family of mine but i threw my own money in too into the bottom of a hole in the ground in north <clears throat> dakota that promised to produce 10 or 100 times as much in oil revenue uh, and it produced exactly zero geez. but while we were dry, flying in and out of North Dakota in my friend's little jet, we realized, hey, you know, there's no housing here. There's trucks, pickups, cars, semis parked along the side of the road. And they got nowhere to live. Yeah. Yeah. In a Walmart parking lot and they didn't have housing. There was 18,000 job openings and wow, housing was the number <clears throat> one problem. There, were, there was a Holiday Inn in a small town in North Dakota, Dickinson, North Dakota, that rented Where? for, or the Dickinson, North Dakota. Exactly. Where? That's my point. <laughs> and um, yeah, in uh, Holiday Inn, and it, 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 I guess it went for $99 a night usually, but it went wow. for $4.29 a night, and it was booked. Oh my uh, gosh. the oil boom, yeah. So we said, hey, we're both involved in real estate investing, and while we're waiting for this oil to come out of the ground, we thought it would be a smart idea to build multifamily. So we build a multifamily community designed specifically for transient oil workers. So they okay. could come and go. They, it was basically like it was short-term rentals and uh-huh. they could rent for a week, a month, a year. And we were able to rent these, these rooms, these beautiful cabins for 129 a night. Nice. Which sounds low compared to the hotels. Yeah. But definitely. at the same time, it was very high as a multifamily. In fact, if, I mean, if you look at multifamily across the U.S. apartments, uh-huh. they rent for about a dollar a square foot on average. And that means an 800 square foot apartment might rent on average in the heartland of America for $800 a month. Yeah. Well, we were renting 300 square foot apartments. They were fully furnished and everything. And they sure. had all the utilities and internet. But we were renting 300 square foot apartments for $4,000 a month. And probably so, getting it, considering. Yeah, 129 the, a night. Yeah. And so as an apartment, it seemed outrageously expensive. Right. As a hotel room, it seemed really cheap. Uh-huh. And so we were across between the two. We crushed it. It went really well. We 
took a lot of the profits from that when we sold it. And my partner, my business partner, sunk that into a Hyatt hotel that sunk him. Oh, uh, we built a ground up Hyatt hotel and it was just a disaster. So that's when I got into That's when I joined a mentoring group. I got involved in commercial real estate and I'll tell you more about that later in the show. Cool. So today you are, you're still developing, you're still investing. Oh, there's the carrot juice. You're still investing in, in, in things in, in real estate, correct? Yeah. So we, we have a company that pulls together people who want to invest in commercial real estate, but they don't have the millions of dollars to get in. Syndications. Oh, uh, yeah. We do a syndication model yeah. where we allow them to invest, you know, $50,000 and be part yeah. of a, let's say $5 million deal. Sure. Sure. That's awesome. And I think the, the name of that is Wellings Capital. Is that correct? Yeah. Wellings Capital is my company. Awesome. So you've been through all of that. <laughs> wow. And I'm sure there's a lot more to discuss. You've been through all of that. And in the midst of it, obviously, there were different points where you have taken lessons, things that have gotten you to go, okay, that doesn't work. We can't do that again. How did you address that? I mean, what did you, when you hit that wall and realized this is an oh shit moment, mm -hmm. how did you recover? I mean, like, it was, there was a point in time, I think you mentioned that you actually went into debt, like two and a half mil. And yet, like 13 months later, you were out. And that's like yeah. unheard of. It's even worse than that or better than that, however you look at it. I had a million and a half uh, in the bank, more or less, mm -hmm. when I sold my company in 1997. Not a huge amount now that I look back, but at mm -hmm. the time, at 33 years old, it was unthinkably large sure. amount. Sure. And I blew through a lot of that because I didn't know the difference between investing and speculating. So talk about lessons. That's one. Okay. You know, as an entrepreneur... You know, Mike, we love the cutting edge stuff. We loved learning about oh, Google boy, AdWords in 2005 when it came out, 2004. Mm -hmm. We loved Facebook ads when they came out and we could get in front of all the competition mm -hmm. and all the local dentists who could use your program, I'm sure were very, very excited to be in yeah. front, you know, being using the cutting edge type stuff. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> investing is entirely different. The richest guy in the world now, Jeff Bezos, asked Warren Buffett, he said, hey, you know, your, your investing style, your program is not very complicated. It's actually quite simple. Why doesn't everybody just do what you do? And Buffett, apparently, uh, uh, this is not recorded. I mean, it wasn't on audio or video, but apparently he chuckled and said, <laughs> no, no, nobody wants to get rich that slow. And the point is <laughs> investing is not, it, it can be entrepreneurial. Sure. Jeff Bezos was very entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are very entrepreneurial, but the vast majority of people who get wealthy do it really slow and steady. Paul Samuelson was the first Nobel Peace Prize winner in economics from the U.S. And he mm -hmm. said, as compared to speculating, he said, True investing should be more like watching paint dry or watching grass grow. If you want eight hundred, if you want excitement, take eight hundred dollars and go to Las Vegas. Yeah, you know it's kind of funny. We we actually had <laughs> we've had that conversation in some of the um, real estate investing classes that we've been in. I have a friend here. We call him Coach. Great guy, and he says exactly that. He says if you're if you're in here to make quick cash. Why don't you take that cash, hand it to me. We'll go down to Bellagio or something. I'll go throw it down on the craps yeah. table and let's see what we can do. Right. Because we got just as much chance of doing it that way as, as the way you're thinking right now. If you're thinking That's about long beautiful. term, then you're in the right class. Right. And, and this is the way he says it. Shit don't happen like that in the market. That's right. It so, just doesn't. Yeah. So, so to answer <laughs> your question, I didn't know that. Yeah. And I didn't have any idea. You know, investing is when your principal is generally safe and you've mm -hmm. got a chance to develop cash flow and make a return. Right. In investing's that way, but speculating is when your principal is not at all safe and you've got a chance to make a return. And right. you've also got a huge chance of losing it all. And so I was a speculator, called myself an investor, and 10 years to the month after having a million and a half, almost two million originally in the bank, I had two and a half million 
in debt. And I, all that debt was against real estate properties because I was seven or eight years into my real estate career by then. Mm -hmm. And so I was thankful that at least I had assets. I mean, I had a lot of debt. I had a lot of expensive debt interest payments, mm -hmm. but the real estate was there. And of course, I didn't know that we were about to plunge down the deepest hole since the Great Depression. I right. assumed that the jitters in the market in 2006 and seven were the worst of it. Of course, we all wanted to believe that, but that wasn't true. In fact, mm. the next year would be the worst uh, year for the stock market and yep. the worst year for the real estate market <laughs> yeah. uh, on record in a very, very long yeah. time. Yeah. And so I found myself in November of 2007 journaling. I like to journal in the morning and mm -hmm. I found myself asking, what would my, one of my heroes, what would he do? His name's George Mueller. It's technically pronounced Muller. Mm -hmm. And he's a German born guy who went to England. He was a hellion as a youth and he turned into a saint as an older man. And he opened orphanages for kids. It's in Bristol, England. And George Mueller began to house orphans. First it was five and then it was 25 and then it was 2,500. I don't know that he ever got much beyond that, but he housed 10,000 orphans total in his lifetime. Mm -hmm. And he did it all without doing any marketing. <gasps> he didn't do any capital raising, Sacrilege. no fundraising. Sacrilege. How could he possibly? He hated marketing, but <laughs> he was still my hero, even though I loved marketing because he actually did a lot of amazing things in his lifetime to help the poor. That's awesome. And I thought, well, I like that guy. What would he do? And I literally thought as I was sitting journaling, I thought he would start giving money away and he would believe that he would find his way out uh, of the hole he was in that way. And though he didn't believe in debt either, so I was already in big trouble. Um, <laughs> I, I said to my family, I said, hey, we're going to give our way out of debt. Whoa. And then I met, <laughs> met a couple so, of friends. So who brought, who brought the first straight jacket after that comment? <laughs> yeah, well, my wife tried. <laughs> but then somehow or another, her best friend is was an account, my accountant. And I got a call from her husband a few days later. Uh -huh. And he and his, he and another good friend met with me at a fast food restaurant and they said, what's your plan to avoid bankruptcy, Paul? <laughs> and I said, I'm going to give my way out of debt. <laughs> and then the other, then the other straight jacket came out. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> and that was in December of 2017 or 20, 2007. Anyway, January 1st, 2008, we started giving a, what was seemed to be a lot of money. Every week we made a donation to a nonprofit, a charity, a church, something that was important to us to kind of land this plane. Four weeks later, I had uh, an idea drop out of heaven mm -hmm. and I had no idea where this idea came from. And I actually went down to the county courthouse and I told the county planning and zoning commission that I had this large tract of land along the lakefront at Smith Mount Lake. It was not subdividable. That was very clear. Yep. And I walked in with a survey that I had hand drawn on and I told him I was going to subdivide it. And here is the loophole. I said it real nice. Yes. In your law that allows me to do this. And they said, and the lady was completely dumbfounded. And she said, I've worked in this job for decades. Nobody has ever come up with such an outlandish plan. To and she said, and you did. Congratulations. <laughs> and so I turned that piece of land into a little subdivision. And in the very height, or I should say the depth of the worst weeks of this yeah. downturn, which was September, October yep. of 2008, mm -hmm. I sold four of those five lots for hundreds of thousands of dollars when nobody was buying land or lots at the time. And uh, miraculously, we were completely debt free in 13 months. That's, that is an amazing story. You, you, and you did, you gave your way out perfectly. That is awesome. It's it kind of interesting when you talk about the, the, the recession that we had in 08, it was funny. I have a background in finance cause I was in mortgage lending, both private and, and uh, conventional. Mm -hmm. 
And when they started doing the interest-only loans in 06, the, the first commercial, I looked and they went, they're using interest-only loans for owner-occupied homes. I immediately got on the phone with my old broker back in Hawaii, who I hadn't talked to in like six years. And I, I literally called him up and I said, did you see the latest commercial? He goes, what commercial? I explained it to him. He goes, oh, no. I said, oh, yeah. They just started doing that. And he goes, how many are doing it? I said, well, I can only gather that everybody's going to jump on a bandwagon because you know how money is. It, money finds money. It's going to go make more. He goes, this is bad. I said, yes. I said, we got about two years. He goes, you think we got that long? I said, the way things are going, we got about two years. 2008, September and October, it hit. And I was like, I hate being right about stuff like this. <laughs> It's too bad you couldn't have shorted the whole world. Oh, my gosh. That would have been, been a killer great. short. Are you kidding me? That yeah. would have been awesome. Yeah. You, you since, since you've taken – well, let me look at the time here. I want to make sure that we're doing – oh, we're, we're doing great. I want to talk a little bit about – because you wrote a book about the perfect investment since we're on the subject of investing. And like pre-show, you kind of talked about how, how that's not entirely true. Can you, yeah. can you describe first what that is and then – why would you say that? <laughs> I mean, you just wrote a book on, here's the perfect, but it's not really perfect. How does yeah, that work? <laughs> right. Well, I, I didn't plan to be a fool publicly, but uh, hey, we, hey, I wrote we, a, <laughs> I got a pod, I've got a podcast called Should How we be having whiskey money, over so this much, instead of coffee and orange, the carrot juice? I, right? <laughs> I mean, hey, look, I started a podcast and we've got 230 shows Sweet. about called How to Lose Money. Oh, cool. So I, I guess I don't mind being foolish. But anyway, no, seriously, I looked at the long-term demographics, which include millennials, baby boomers, immigrants, and now Gen Z. Right. And I looked at the trends around the world toward away from home, home ownership and toward renting. Those trends include in the U.S., of I course. I still don't understand that, but oh, please keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I looked at the, you know, the, the increase in population and I didn't do this in a vacuum. I, I was part of a mentoring program who mm -hmm. saw the world the same way. And I learned all this and I thought, this is like the perfect investment. And so I wrote a book called The Definitive Guide to Multifamily Investing. And a friend of mine, Sounds uh, official. I, I mean, yeah, right. And <laughs> I love the title. And a friend of mine finally got honest with me and he said, look, he goes, if you really want this book to be popular, he goes, think about great titles out there. Think and grow rich. Yeah. And <clears throat> a rich dad, poor dad, you need something a little more catchy, like the perfect investment. So I named it that. The book is about why multifamily investing is a great investment. Mm hmm and then it's got several paths to get involved, either as a passive investor in a syndication mm -hmm. or as the syndicator yourself mm -hmm. or as just somebody with a group of friends who pull together their money and buy large apartment buildings. And so there's, uh, that's what the book's about. It's been out since 2016. I'll be and grabbing a copy. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll be glad to send you a PDF if you like, or you can get it on Amazon. I, I'd, I'd like to actually order it from you so you can sign it for me. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, make sure you go to wellingscapital.com and ask my assistant specifically for that. So I got that's it. the way to do it. I'll do it. So at any rate, the problem, Michael, I wrote this book and I found that multifamily apartments, commercial real estate in general, but especially multifamily was becoming more and more popular. And there was more difficulty in finding deals that made sense. In our world, we say the cap rate, right. capitalization rate is compressed. And pretty so, badly from what I've been seeing. Pretty badly, yeah. And so I was, you know, I know I look 40, but I was actually in my mid fifties at the time. <clears throat> and you hold it well, I, uh, you hold it very well. Yeah. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you very much. So I, I should be like my friend, Charles Dobbins, who says I'm 72. I know I look 56 and he's 56, <laughs> of course, but anyway, but seriously, multifamily's gotten very, very overheated. And we, as business partners, we're all in our mid fifties. We'd all lost lots of money. Mm -hmm. on other deals. Like mm -hmm. I told you already, we all had lots of pain in our lives. Like every entrepreneur I know. 
And we said, you know, we're just not going to play this game. We're not going to overpay and hope for the best. Yeah. And so for years, I watched the guys in my mastermind buying deals that I shook my head at and privately thought, you're going to pay, you're going to regret that. And then coming back on the mastermind two, two and a half years later saying, hey, remember that deal I bought in Greenville? I tripled my investor's money on it. And we sold it last week. And I'm like, oh, gosh. And so it made me think, you know, either I was really stupid for not jumping on the bandwagon or there's going to come a day when the musical chairs end, when yeah. the music stops yep. and somebody is going to be left holding the bag for an overpaid apartment building that they way overpaid for. And they're going to pay a dear price. And I read Warren Buffett. I read Howard Marks. I read all these different smart people's investor, you know, investor uh, comments. And they said, you know, they're going to tell you this time it's different. They're going to tell you it's okay to overpay. There's yeah. a really famous multifamily guy who got charges by the SEC. I think it was last week who was telling the world very publicly and very loudly, it's okay to overpay for multifamily because it's always going to go up. I think I know who that is. We won't say his name, yeah, but I think I, bet I know you do. Is. Yeah. Yeah, I bet you do. And so at any rate, it's not okay to overpay. The it's fundamentals okay are the overpay. same as they were last yeah. year and last decade and last century. And so I just chose to not overpay. I ended up bidding on lots and lots and lots of deals that we got outbid on. Mm -hmm. I ended up just walking away from hundreds of deals we didn't even bother to bid on. Mm -hmm. And we basically decided, you know, maybe we should find something that's less popular. Yeah. And we did. So in 2018, early 2018, we started researching self-storage and mobile home parks. And we jumped into that's that been on fire class. Yeah. Well, unfortunately it has been on fire, but nevertheless, it's way different than apartments. And I can mm -hmm. explain why, if you want to know. So yes, but let's save that for a second. I, I think, right. I think the big point that's being made here is recognizing when something is no longer a good right. investment. I mean, I think that's the premise of the book was you learned the lesson of, yeah, we're not going there anymore. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to find something else that's got better. Cause once the cap, like when, when 2008 hit cap rates out here on single families, were down below 8%. And I'm a 12 percenter. If you don't show me 12, I'm out. I mean, I, com I completely stopped looking in the Valley because there was just right. nothing there. The max Smart. I saw was nine and it was the max I saw was nine. And the amount of work that was going to have to go into it to make it a nine right. wasn't worth it. I'm not going to go into debt for something that I'm going to have to fight for the money. I don't think that's the point of investing. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. What but, was the same house worth percentage-wise in 2011? The, if I had, okay, so the, so the actual rate was probably about 785 the ex the extra addition of of you know bidding bringing it up to par and getting it rehabbed and all that get, you needed rehab to get it to a nine percent in eleven it might have just barely broke eight point two five maybe okay so you and I came to the same conclusion it sounds like and that is the perfect investment even with all the right fundamentals is no longer perfect if you have to pay too much for it and I think that's the lesson here I I really do I right. mean. I, and I hope everybody's listening. This doesn't go just for real estate, you guys. This goes for anything. <laughs> this is, there's, a, there's a basic economic behind this. If you have to dump cash into something in order to make it profitable and the numbers make sense, okay. But if you're dumping cash into something to make it profitable and they're not quite sure, or you're not quite sure, that, or there's variables that you're not in control of, that's another big thing with me. You know, I live in a town that lives on gambling. What are the odds? Listen, if I can't hedge my bets and I can't control the odds, I'm out. I do not yeah. want to play that game. I mean, yeah. I might as well go to my toilet and just throw money inside there. It'd be easier. <laughs> well, that's what speculating is, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we had yeah. a ton of them out here. When we had the building boom between 03 and 04, everybody was coming out here on, on pre-builds. They were buying land. They were um, buying a spec house, you know, as soon as they were built by the developers. And they were immediately turning them into rentals. 
I mean, this city had probably a really unusual amount of invested investor-owned home. They outnumbered owner-owned homes for a while. Mm-hmm. It was that bad. And to me, that's just a, that's a complete recipe for disaster. Bad sign. Really bad, bad sign. Think about, think about it. When you're getting foreclosed on, are you more likely to fight to make it work, to save your home if you live in that home and it was your family, yeah, if kid's childhood home? Yeah. Or if, if, if you're in New York City with a hundred of them, about you know you upside care less. down you could care less i mean and and, right. and i know and even then the stories get even more wilder than that we'll talk more about that some other time but i know guys that stayed in their house for a year a year and months they never paid because they were yeah, in I've that whole that. they were in that whole process of trying to get the whatever it was called the adjustment or something right. and and they were told don't don't get caught up you get caught up right. you're going to mess this thing up legally and it's like right. You're asking me to put myself in worse dire straits than I'm already in right. of my house right, so, no. so I can possibly win my house? What? <laughs> anyway, so being that it's no longer the, the perfect investment, what kind of criteria can people think of to be able to see something that is a good investment? Uh, not being that there's anything perfect, of course. Yeah, I think the point is that it is – you know, it's still got the great demographics and all that. Mm. But look, there's a great book called Mastering the Market Cycle by Howard Marks. Howard Marks is one of the most successful investors that I know of in history. Mm-hmm. And the Mastering the, Mar- Mastering the Market Cycle just came out recently, 2017 or 18, I think. Mm-hmm. And he, he says, you know, the, the, the time that you need to be the most conservative is the time that most investors take the most risks. And yeah. that's near the top of the cycle. That it, that's in Las Vegas in, let's say, 2007, when mm-hmm. everything, yep. when the margins were thinnest, yep. the margin of safety was smallest, the margin of error had to be the smallest. That's when people were overpaying the most. And he said, that's exactly how booms and bust cycles work. If you're a smart investor, you, you know what I'm going to say. You mm-hmm. just do the opposite. Yeah. As, uh, there's, everybody said it, even Warren. Blood right. in the streets, go invest. When that's it's clean, stay out of it. That's right. It's, it's just what gets me is how many people get punch drunk. I know. And, and literally, this is what it's called because you've seen it. You've seen it. I've seen it. Where they just start throwing money at everything. Oh, this is a great deal. Uh, no. Quick example. When I was in private lending full time, I had a young guy come to me going, yeah, I've got this property. I want to I get some financing for it so I can rehab it and turn it. I said, great, no problem. So let's go through your numbers. And we went through his numbers and I said, well, where's your profit? He goes, oh. I said, Yeah. <laughs> I said, first off, I'm not going to get a lender to lend on this, not, not in a chance in you know where, even yeah. if it freezes over. I right. said, the second time, how much money you got in on this deal? He goes, I got a thousand earnest. I said, you made a mistake putting a thousand down. Cut it loose. Let it go. Let it go. Right. He did, did thankfully, because I was, I was, yeah, he did. I, I, was, I was really worried that he was going to take a hit because that was like a, for, it was a Chicago property, so it wasn't a real, real big thing. But for him, 20 grand was a lot. That's about what he was going to lose. So we just got it. We're going to take a short pause. Very smart. He was very smart. We're going to take a short pause, guys, and we're going to come back in about 30 seconds. And when we do, we're going to talk about what motivates Paul. Y'all know we love to talk about what the, the inspirations are. So 30 seconds, and we'll be right back. And we're back here, Java Chat, Coffee with Mike, sitting here with Paul Moore, talking about investments, and we've been having a good time. But, you know, behind all of this, in this particular second section, we always talk about what inspires and it's a big deal because people don't get anywhere without a why. And I, I, I don't know that everybody talks enough about it, but I know it's a, serious, it's a serious subject for you. So tell us, what is one, what is your why, and why do you think that's so important? You know, a couple of years ago, I had a very surprising wake-up call. Really? And that wake-up call was I found out that there was something called human trafficking in the U.S. And I knew that there was human trafficking in the Philippines or in Thailand or somewhere. Yeah. You know what I found out, Mike? I found out that if you take the record profits of Apple, GM, 
Starbucks and Nike. And at least as of 2017 or 16, when I heard this, if you take the record profits, add them together, double that number, that's the approximate revenues generated by human, human trafficking worldwide. And I thought to myself, hey, if I was alive in the mid 1800s, I'd want to believe I was an abolition. I'd be an abolitionist. I'd be mm -hmm. fighting to free slaves. I'd be fighting for the abolition of slavery. And I want to believe if I was an adult in the 1960s, that I'd be fighting for civil rights and I would be doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is a civil right. Yeah. And this is slavery. Mm -hmm. And there are tens of millions of victims. And since we started this podcast, there have been probably four to 600 new victims of human trafficking. Yeah. And so when I found all this out, I realized, I thought, well, why have I never heard of this? Why didn't I know anything about this? Why isn't the whole world complete, or at least America, why aren't we in complete upset why aren't we treating this like a national emergency why isn't this i mean look unlike the civil war everybody i've ever spoken to is against human trafficking yeah like <clears throat> civil war you know like maybe for example half and half or maybe it was 60 40 but everybody i've talked to and know is against human trafficking democrats are against it republicans are against it of course, we know that there's a deeper thing going on behind the scenes, yeah. and there are people that claim to be against it who are for it and benefiting by it, but that's not the point. The point is there should be a massive outrage about this. Absolutely. And so I decided I wanted to try to tell the world and tell everybody I could about this outrage, and I want to try to promote the ending of or fighting or the ending of human trafficking and the rescue of its victims. Yeah. And so that's really, really important to me. Backing up 23 years to when I sold my company, I can tell you, Mike, when I woke up the next morning with a couple million dollars in my bank account at 33 years old, I didn't feel any better. I didn't feel any different. In fact, I ended up feeling a little worse about myself over the next couple of years as I tried to find my way and figure out what to do and lost money and scams and things. But I never felt for a moment bad about having a big why. And I think it's really, really important that we all have that lock in on it. Because if you make a billion dollars or if you declare bankruptcy, and either way, if you have a big why, you won't have to struggle with all the pain. The, 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 you'll have the pain of losing money yeah. and you have the pain of relational problems if you're a billionaire, but you will have something bigger driving you ahead. That's it's something bigger than yourself for sure. You just happen to hit a, a passion of mine when it comes to human trafficking, be it the Underground Railroad and all that stuff, we follow mm -hmm. them. Thankfully, there's been a lot of there have been a lot of rescues lately, at least for the children, right. the adults, not so much. And I know that this, that, that's just as bad. Right. So been down that road, been deep. When you figured out that why, what did you see change? Well, I, you know, I already had other things. Like when I was in 2007 and eight, I already told you the story that mm -hmm. I donated to things I really, really cared about. But when I was able to be laser focused, it's a lot easier mm -hmm. to have one big thing. <clears throat> you know, Gary Keller, the great real estate broker, wrote one thing. the one thing. I read it, great book. <laughs> right, it's a lot easier to have all your efforts and all your mindset and everything focused on one thing than have 10 things you really care about but can't do a whole lot about. Mm -hmm. And so I think even if you have 10 things, and I do, by the way, I have other things I care very deeply about, very deeply. But I think once you have one thing that you're really focused on, it really helps generate ideas, relationships, discussions, creativity, all kinds of things that you couldn't get if you were casually interested. And so that's why I think this one thing, this one big obsession is so important. I would agree quite deeply. That's, and with, without wanting to belabor the point, 
that's probably the clearest it could possibly stand. And, and with that, guys, I'm going to call for another 30 second now because I want to get into some other things in the last section with the, you know, what's, what's next and stuff and, and talk a little bit about certain codes that people should learn about. So, guys, we're going to take another 30 second break. And when, we're, when we come back, we're going to start letting some real nuggets out. So hang in there, 30 seconds, and we'll talk to you in a second. And we're back here, Java Chat, talking with Paul Moore. We're, we're in our last section here, and this is basically, you know, we talk about where's Paul now? What's Paul doing? And where's he plan on going? And you, talk, you touched on a couple of things, one which is a pet passion of ours that has to do with um, fighting human trafficking. We're going to leave that for another time because I actually want to dig into that in another podcast, if you don't mind. But you're, you're still working. Welling Capital is, is, a, is a fairly young business, right? It's like two years old or something like that? We, we've been around about six years, and Wellings Capital has reimagined itself in the last two years. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. And, and what does Wellings focus on? Is it back to the multifamily uh, investments and things of that nature? Or? So we found that, and, and, and this is my experience too, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people, there's, I mean, literally like 1.6 million people on Bigger Pockets, for example. Biggerpockets.com is the largest forum for real estate investors. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And yeah, so we found that a whole lot of those people, and I was one of them, um, didn't know how to get into commercial real estate, but they wanted to, or they Mm -hmm. at least were interested. Mm -hmm. Some of them found out that the, you know, and, and I found out that the Forbes 400, the wealthiest people in the world, almost all invest in commercial real estate. That oh, yeah. doesn't mean they made their money that way, but a lot of them did. Yeah. And a lot of them just shelter taxes that way. Sure. And so Wellings Capital was invented because real estate, commercial real estate investing shouldn't be as hard as people think it is. And it's not if you know the right people. And Mm -hmm. so what we're doing is we've opened up funds to allow accredited investors to invest as little as $50,000 into our fund. And then we're spreading that across a diversified portfolio of very carefully diligenced operators and assets with recession proof, or no, that's not right. Stop it, Paul. Recession resistant assets there you go. Like self-storage, mm-hmm. mobile home parks, and to a lesser degree, a few others. And so by doing this, we're giving these 50,000-ish dollar investors access to world-class investments and world-class tax strategies. Awesome. I'd like you to, to define because it's been vaguely kind of thrown around in circles, and, and I, I'm sure there's a bunch of business professionals that are wondering what is accredited when it comes to being an accredited investor? Yeah. So we sometimes say, you know, you'll know if you're accredited, but that's just not true. Some people have thought that over the years, but accredited investor is an SEC regulation Mm -hmm. that I say it slowly because people think I say SEC, but SEC regulation that says you can only invest in certain type of private placement deals in other words, they're not publicly traded. Right. If you have experience investing uh-huh. and they, since they don't know how to test everybody to see if they have experience, they just said, well, if you have a million dollars net worth, not including your private residence, right. or if you make 200000 a year for the last couple of years and likely the forthcoming the next year, or if you make 300000 a year with a spouse, then you are accredited. There's some very other minute details in there, mm-hmm. but those are the main qualifiers. Okay. And so, so anybody, anybody that's looking to invest that's not accredited, what would you suggest they start looking at as far as an investment like, like we've been talking about? Well, I'm not a fan of the casinos on Wall Street <laughs> And so <laughs> you're probably not a fan of casinos over here either. Then, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I just, it's not that it's just that I know, I know what Warren Buffett said, if he died, you know, or if somebody was starting out, they should just stick their money in a diversified portfolio of stocks and let it ride till they retire. And I get it. I really, really do. And I think that's a legitimate option. I really do. However, 
I personally like real estate. I like hard assets, things I can touch. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I like the fact that I can talk to the operator, the syndicator, right. the manager, whatever you talk, whatever right. you want to call it. I can meet them face to face. I can't imagine meeting the CEO of General Electric before I invest with them. Right. I can't imagine that my voice would have any impact. But I mean, I invest it with a company heavily, Wellings Capital invests heavily with a company in your very town, my friend. Yeah. And uh, we can call him or text him on a Saturday and I'll hear back from him within minutes. He'll jump on the phone. And what I say actually matters. And I try very carefully not to ever tell him, I think you should do this. But I, right. I shoot out ideas and he does too. And we actually partnered together recently on a new fund we just launched. And nice. The point is, I mean, I really think that people can do better than just, <clears throat> you know, Wall Street. You know, 93, I don't know what the current number is, Mike, but the 93% at one point of people who play stocks, mm -hmm. keyword being mm -hmm. the verb, play, 93% mm -hmm. lose money. And yeah. I think people can do better than that. You know, it's funny. I was just on the, the earnings call for, for, of all companies, Pinterest yesterday. I find I find those calls very interesting because you hear a lot of general statements about yeah we did this percentage of year over year or quarter after over quarter and it's wonderful and then they open up for questions and the only thing I heard or the only people I heard jumping on there were all fund managers or people that were managing inside the fund like I heard Barclays on there yesterday and I'm sitting here going I don't hear any normal Joe coming in there and saying hey what about this hey what about that mm. and I and I thought gee. This is where, and obviously I invest in them. This is where some of my money is. I really don't have any, I really don't have any power here. But like you said, in real estate, would it be, would it be fair to say, look, okay, cool. Go do your 401s or go do your self-directed IRAs, do whatever, but maybe diversify even more. Get yourself learning about real estate. Do something that you have a little more control over. Yeah. I would consider that kind of shoring up or hedging. Yeah. Uh, to make sure that you're covered. Is that is that a fair assessment? No, I think that's a great assessment. And I believe in diversification. Now, there's an argument that diversification can be a really negative thing. And if we have time, we can dive back into why that could happen. But mm -hmm. I think it's really smart as long as you know what you're doing. You don't have to know how to run a self-storage facility mm -hmm. to do a good job vetting. Mm -hmm. a self-storage operator in investing with them. Now, it's arguable that everything that can be known about a publicly traded firm is known. And that's, yep. you know, that's the, I can't remember, efficient market hypotheses. Mm -hmm. And that says that, you know, really, you're never going to get a good deal unless you have illegal insider information anyway. Yeah. So since yeah. you can't get a good deal, just put your money in a diversified portfolio like Buffett says and let it ride for decades and don't you dare touch it. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's, again, that's a good idea. I think in real estate, it's sort of similar because commercial real estate is highly illiquid, Mike. Yeah. I mean, if people invest with us, I tell them, I warn them. I said, don't invest, don't invest here and call me in three years and say, you need your money out because you're probably not going to get it. Yeah. We're investing in 10 year projects. And again, Buffett's not a real estate investor, but he would agree that you shouldn't even look at the stock price of equities for 10 years. Yeah. Well, you can't with a lot of commercial real estate for five or 10 years or even longer. And so that's one of the reasons we like it. Because the disciplined approach says buy and hold and yeah. don't look at it and don't trade it and don't try to figure out some special, like, you know, way to short or long met thing. And anyway, that's. No, I, I think that's absolutely valid because, I mean, I know I've got a lot of guys that are day traders, options traders, and they're, they're out there banking. That's cool. But if you miss, that's buy-by profit for the day. You know, I, I had friends that have worked on Wall Street that, that were trading, you know, doing M&As and all that kind of stuff. And one, my one buddy was like, well, if I missed two in a row, I didn't make it to number three. I hung up my phone, logged out, and I went out and golfed. I'm just going to stay away from it. I'm, not gonna, I'm on a trend and I'm not going to keep that trend going. Mm -hmm. Whereas with what you're talking about, it's not, it's, the trend is over 10 years. And if it's managed properly, like you said, by the operator or the syndicator, whoever, 
you're not going to have much to worry about at all. I mean, that's, that's one of those things you can leave alone and not touch. There's a, there's a thing with multifamilies, and I, I wanted to dig into this too. We all love the IRS. I know you said no more jokes, but I had to. But multifamilies, they, they have a tendency to have there's, – there's this thing about partnering with the IRS. How does that work? Because to my understanding, that's not always the greatest idea. But it, in this case, it, it is. Yeah. You know, I don't know when you as a listener are going to be listening to this, but around the end of September, early October 2020, mm-hmm. a, the New York Times uh, broke a story with some apparent information that said the president of the United States paid $750 in taxes mm-hmm. last year. Mm-hmm. And he didn't pay any taxes for something like seven of the last 20 years. It might've been even more than that. And of course there was outrage. Of course there were there was finger pointing. There was demands that he be audited. Mm-hmm. I know I said I wouldn't be political, but I'm just going to say, whether it's Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, Donald Trump, or George W. Bush, they all get audited every year. In yep. fact, there's a very specific procedure. They're already being audited. Yep. That's another story. But Most don't know that, though. That, that, yeah. It's good that you bring that up. And most, most people think, oh, they, they never get audited. No, that's bullshit. They get, these yeah. guys got money. They're going to get audited. It there's just happens. There's a drawer where they have to leave all their records, a specific drawer where they have mm-hmm. to, the, the IRS and anybody can go, I mean, the right people can yeah. go audit yeah. at any time. Yep. But that's not the point. The point I want to make here, Mike, is that commercial real estate investors weren't a bit surprised. We're like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a famous quote. I think I might miss it, but a congressman in 1980 said something like this. He said, you'd have to be a genius to be a commercial real estate investor and pay taxes. And that's confusing. But when you think through it, he'd say, you'd have to work really hard to pay taxes yeah, because commercial real estate is set up to avoid taxes. And it's even this week, as long as I've been doing this, I was surprised yet again at how little commercial real estate investors pay in taxes. And there's so much we we could do a whole show or two shows. Just we'll about we'll that. have to we'll have to have you back to talk more about I'd that. I'd love to that's, do that. That that would be awesome. I, I think the whole I think the whole point that you're making here is commercial real estate is a safe investment. At the same time, it helps you do exactly what I can't remember the judge's name said was was Learned you hand. should be lawed. Thank you. Say it again, please. Judge Learned Hand. He was the gentleman that said he should be praised for avoiding taxes, not evading. Right. And I think, I, I swear, a lot of the public does not know the difference. They think just because you haven't paid taxes, you're evading it. And that's what, that's the narrative that's thrown around about anybody that doesn't pay a lot about of taxes. Right. It's not just, it's not political. This is just straight up, oh, he makes too much money. No, he's trying to protect what he's got. And I, and I think more people need to, to learn that better. But you mentioned that is, there's like, oh, go ahead. Well, this is where I'm a little confused. Okay. Why do the same people who set up the system to save on taxes criticize other people for not paying taxes, number one? And number two, I didn't mention this earlier, but I'm writing a book on Warren Buffett's rules for real estate investors. In other words, if you took his principles for equity trading or company Mm -hmm. trading, if Mm -hmm. you will, and applied that to real estate, what would it look like? Mm -hmm. Yet, Warren Buffett actually criticizes the tax system and says, I don't, talking about himself, Mm -hmm. I don't pay enough taxes. My secretary pays more than me. Wow. Percentage, but I wasn't sure. But at any rate, I don't know why, because by saving on taxes, Buffett has been able to donate to do a lot of what he believes is very good in the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't think that the IRS would probably do as well as he did in helping poor children in Uganda. You yeah. Know? Yep. Absolutely. I, th- I think a lot of it is misplaced information or disinformation as yeah. it has been gone out. And then people listening to their friends about what's good and what's not good and not really knowing themselves. I, I, there needs to be a little more education on that. And it's funny because you have all these guys that are out there, the gurus of real estate investing, flip a house, you know, buy a subject to and all this kind of stuff. It's like, okay, yeah, that's part of it. 
having been in private private lending, it was kind of I got all the I got all their students coming to me going, "Hey, we can do a no money down deal. What's your lender?" I'm like, "Yeah, I don't know who you think you're talking to. That doesn't work like that. <laughs> There's got to be some skin in the game, brother." But I think if I think if there was better information out there that was easier to find, because it still doesn't seem like it's that easy to find. When is this book coming out? Are you, I know you just you just mentioned you're working on it. Any any target date for that release? Uh, I virtually had it finished probably six months ago, and then I got really really busy with other projects. And sure. it always anything like that's going to have to take a back burner to Wellings Capital. Absolutely. I've got two writing partners on it. We've already had it approved, and actually the publisher is contacting me about once every two months, saying why haven't we set a release date? And so. We've got about two or three chapters left to, to polish up. Okay. And so I'm guessing <clears throat> at least the end of 2021 will be the best we can do. Because there's a nine-month window once you've got a book almost done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I will be wanting a copy. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that's, I'm not being, I'm not paging. I'm serious, dude. If you could figure out how, how Buffett stuff applies to commercial, I'm in. <laughs> I think it's I think it's very I think it's very insightful that you can even pull that because there's going to be a whole you could create a whole new class of investor by putting that book out. You realize that? What? Tell you me could more. think about it. Who are you talking to? You're talking to all of Warren's followers that don't do commercial real estate, and all of a sudden now you're giving them the blueprint on how to do it using his rules. Tell me you're not going to create a whole new class of investor. Oh, that's a brilliant thought. Can do you do marketing? I, I dabble. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe we should get you to help us. I'd be happy to. We can totally have that conversation. But yeah, there's 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 so there's so much. Yeah, we're gonna need to have you back. Goodness gracious, the time has run. <sighs> I always hate doing this, but please, can we have you back? Because there's a lot more to talk about. I mean, we've got the whole the whole IRS thing to talk about. We've got the whole setup thing to talk about as far as syndication, how to set up a syndication, and then of course the human trafficking passion that you and I both share. Can we have you back? Would that Mike, be cool? I feel like I've made a new friend today and uh, <laughs> I can't wait to be back. Okay. I'll, I'll make sure that we get you on whatever is convenient for you, obviously. But All the right. sooner the better. Guys, If you, where can people find you? Besides Wellings Capital, which is, I, I'm, I'm going to assume that's a .com, wellingscapital.com? Yeah, that's W-E-L-L-I-N-G-S-C-A-P-I-T-A-L, wellingscapital.com. Okay. And I'm all over bigger pockets as well. Yeah, that's good. You know what? We're going to have to dig into some of that next time too because, I mean, okay. you've, been, you've been writing and there's a – dude, what is with the boneless near boneless ham? What is that? Did you – What is your – like three what, people who <laughs> asked me this. So, what, is the, what is the deal? <laughs> okay. So I have a question for you, Mike, okay. and your audience. Okay. Semi-boneless ham. How wait 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 does wait. it have semi boneless ham? Are we we're, you, what, you know about the, that right? The, yeah, I do. But that's that's my question. What the hell is a semi boneless ham? Exactly. I used to go to a store at the IGA, which uh -huh. is a store. I don't know if that's out where you are, but there was an IGA store near us as a kid, and this guy with a big marker, you know, like he would write and paste these big posters to the window going in, right. And it said, semi-boneless ham, $1.59 a pound. And I'd ask, Dad, semi-boneless ham, does it have a bone or not? Exactly. You never answer. Uh, Nobody they, knows. I got a butcher friend. I'm going to go ask him now after this. That's Would it. you please get back with me? I'm going to have to because that just makes no sense. So for all your listeners who have no idea what we're talking about, I've written quite a few articles. And somewhere in the article... I try to work in the question, semi-boneless ham, does it have a bone or not? Okay, I see about a million different ways that can be applied to commercial real estate. We'll talk about that another time. <laughs> Listen, guys. Do a it, third it, show. That's uh, an absolute third show, totally. Just about semi-boneless ham. <laughs> <laughs> So listen, guys, the, the, all, all of the links that the things that we've been talking about, the links will be posted below in the comments, of course, his social media. Please, if, if you have a question, go ahead and put the question in the comments. Paul, you're more than welcome to come back and answer them or we can forward them to you however you'd like. Follow yeah, him on wellingscapital.com. Make sure you find him on social. He is he is on Twitter and he is on LinkedIn. Uh, follow his Twitter. I'm sure he puts out some cool stuff. Uh, and of course, if you're watching uh, on YouTube and not yet a subscriber, make sure you subscribe. Button's right over there. Right next to that button is a little bell. Make sure and you hit that bell. And if you subscribe, 
to this YouTube, Mike's YouTube channel, I'm going to give you a free gift. Ah, okay. That was unplanned, guys, if you didn't catch that. So thank you very much, Paul. That is absolutely awesome. Um, we're going to promote the heck out of that. (laughs) I'm going to give you an ebook on how to invest in self-storage and another ebook on how to invest in mobile home parks. I got three people that would love that now. I'm going to reach out to them just for the hell of it. And by the way, I'd like a copy, please. The... Wow, that's awesome. Shit. Okay. I can't wait to have you back, dude. My mind's just buzzing right now. Sorry. We always... If you're listening to us on on podcast platforms, make sure you download or subscribe there. If you're on anchor.fm listening to us there, feel free to support us. Every little bit helps with this this little podcast as we grow and we bring you more people like this amazing gentleman here. Uh, and, and we'll have him back. It means a lot that you guys listen and watch. It really does. I don't think you guys understand how much it means to me, how much it means to my team. We really love you, and we thank you for doing what you do. Keep going, yeah? Don't stop. By all means, stay up, stay safe, stay healthy, and and live. That's the big one. Make sure you do that. So from Paul Moore myself coffee with mike to all of you ciao for now for more information on java chat visit www.javachatpodcast.com you've been listening to coffee with mike on java chat tune in weekly to this podcast for the next episode you can also download or subscribe today on your favorite podcast platform a production of Oasis Media Group, LLC. Located in Las Vegas, Nevada. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved.